Hey guys, this is Dan Sawyer, still scraping through the last of this throat cold, so I won't be able to record for another couple of days, but until then, I hope you enjoy some more special features. Ah, the burning and burns! The rape, pillage, and burn can be really inconvenient if they do it in the wrong order. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to sound strange, but could you go, eek! Eek! I've always wanted to hear a pipsqueak. (laughs) (laughs) Artistic Whispers Productions presents Antithesis Book One Predestination and Other Games of Chance A podcast novel written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net With original music by Danny Shade This story contains harsh language sexual situations listener discretion is advised and now dealing in episode five hello this is dan sawyer and this is the feedback show for antithesis antithesis is a serial novel that has a lot of suspense and turns on surprises if you have not listened up through episode 15 Go back, stop, and listen now. Heavy spoilers will be covered in the following news, and if you hear them and don't know the context, you will at least be subject to minor brain damage as a side effect. You have been warned. You have been warned. (laughs) (laughs) And as you can hear with me today in the studio is the lovely Philippa Ballantyne. Hello, America. And Chris Lester of the Metamore City Podcast. Hey, folks. And Kitty Nakian, the producer of Antithesis and author or author of the Reprobates News on the Reprobates Hour. Hello. What, what the heck is that thing on that microphone? It's a shock mount. Oh. I don't have another mic stand, so, so we don't get mic jostled. It's jaws called a marital aid, Chris. We don't like to talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> no, notice how there's the sleeve that the microphone fits in nicely and it's, oh, and it's suspended. Oh, oh, oh. Yes, it's been I that want one kind. Of those. <laughs> yes, it's been that kind of weekend, guys. As you will find out by now, if you've heard the uh, the sex the round sex table, show, yes, three hour sex. That's going to be like three episodes. Oh dear God! <laughs> the three hour sex show. That sounds like you guys are going to hear <laughs> us talking about this. sex for longer than you've ever wanted to hear anyone talking about sex. I mean, <laughs> Minx only gets away with like fifteen minutes at a time, and here we are. <laughs> But there are more of us, you say. Oh, that's true. It was a group situation. It was a group situation. <laughs> I'm so glad that my mother doesn't have access to the internet. <laughs> so, <and> it- <laughs> so what did you get up to in America, Philippa? Well, actually. <laughs> funny you should ask. <laughs> Um, so anyway, if you didn't listen to episode, uh, three of Dealing In, what we've decided to do is to, um, Chris and I get together, we do each other's feedback shows, Chris and Kitty, and today Philippa will read different, uh, feedback, and I will respond to it uh, extemporaneously, and then we'll also be drawing the name from the hat for the winner of the iTunes review contest, who will get a free My Name is Joss Kyle t-shirt. Unfortunately, none of you who left iTunes reviews wrote me and told me who you were. So if more than one of you writes and say, I was the winner! Here's my address! We're going to have to have words. So please, whoever wins, you be the only person that writes me in. Anyway, um, so we'll do that at the end of the show. But uh, if, uh, Chris, would you like to start us off? This is in roughly 
chronological order reversed. So if you like, take from okay. the back and. Ah. All right. Um, actually, no. December twenty seventh comes after December twenty fifth. Mm-hmm. Okay. This Are is. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. Okay, so this is from a exchange of emails that Patty Heaney did with me and Dan on Christmas um, when she got very drunk that evening. <laughs> First one was, howdy again. Okay, not quite drunk enough to leave comments on the voicemail lines. Give me an hour or two. But I am drunk enough to nitpick two bits that nod at me during the latest feedback show and its bonuses. First, Sawyer. He referred to me as a he. I will have you know that my massive womanly mounds are what allow me to win at poker and get out of speeding tickets and get away with drunk dialing everyone I know. <laughs> Second, Chris, it's Greco, not Greco. Greco like gecko, but with an R. Hope you like the foodstuffs because she had sent me a care package. Um, overall, though, I have to admit that I was very thrilled that my two fave podcasters liked my email and even gave me props for a bad Cthulhu joke. I even bragged about it to my mom. Snuggles, almost drunk Patty. <laughs> almost drunk. Mm-hmm. And what did she say when she was drunk? Yeah, she said, that was almost drunk. Where's drunk? <laughs> well, uh, let's see. Dan responded back to her. Patty, sorry about the he thing. I noticed it on edit at the time. For some reason, I was hearing Paddy rather than Patty. Even though you had talked about being a woman in your email, I latched onto the name in my quasi inebriated states. My sincere apologies. Thanks for the <laughs> rocking email. Um, and then I had responded to her, and she said, Thanks both for answering, though I have to fire a parting shot. Drunken dialing, either of you doesn't work nearly as well without working voicemail lines. And let me tell you what <laughs> the Mahjong tiles are spinning and shiny right now, if you get my drift. <laughs> So what was that? Because have you guys got, got your um, lines up? Uh, we both lost our lines at the same time. You lost your lines. Yeah. Yes, but I actually had a working voicemail line up when she did this. I think she was just too plastered at the time <laughs> to, to find realize it. to find it. She says, let me know if you two ever get your ducks in form and I'll get really sloshed again. I had some toddies. I would have used 151, but I found a rum called Admiral Nelson Spiced Rum. And the irony has had me hooked ever since. <laughs> Someone want to explain that one to me? I, I why <laughs> call why why not call it Trafalgar rum? I don't know. Hmm. And Colin, I can't leave the really creative death threats I <laughs> thought up on 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 Sawyer in okay she's in in email she says in email so I'm thinking she's starting to lose the finger yeah is going yeah just ain't proper why is the keyboard sticky <laughs> <laughs> damn Cassocks he he he. So yeah, I drunk. I see you sliding off the desk and out the floor. <laughs> and since I can't call either of you, and since I ran out of numbers to drunk and dial, you got emailed drunk. Aren't you cool? <laughs> Did you know that only like two percent of you is human? Well, I presume that you think you're human anyway, but real humans have mostly other stuff. <laughs> Like cat hair in my case. I think you should be encouraging more drunken email. (laughs) Sad that I can't drunken voice message you. Very drunk Patty. (laughs) But shit, Patty, we ought to have you come on and be the feedback show. She made me spurt coke. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. 
So, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Patty, if you want to send in drunken voicemail in future, you can find me at 206-350-5739. <laughs> Although I'm very, very frightened. Thanks, Patty. Mm. <laughs> you all right over there, Pip? Yeah, I just spitted coke all over myself. It's right. Oh, uh, lovely. <laughs> Okay. Oh, Pip, what you got for us? <laughs> I don't know if I can top that one. Um. <clears throat> okay, I hope this accent gets through on this one. Hi, Dan. I just thought I would write a note to say, wow, this is Luke Platypus. I wonder if he's Australian. Should I do it in an Australian accent? <laughs> do an Australian accent. Hi, Dan. I just thought I'd write a note to say, wow, you got me hooked on antithesis. <laughs> Book one from episode two. It's a great book. Thanks. Sorry, not being in touch sooner, as I heard you on the Going Linux podcast and added you to my podcast list in Amarok. Yeah. yeah. But that's where the problem started. Sad face. <laughs> I'm a newbie to Linux and using Kubuntu, loving it. But I have an MTP MP3 player <laughs> that does not play nicely with Linux sad face. I can download the podcast, but it will not transfer to player with Amarok. I have tried many things, but I have the same problem with JC Hutchins' podcast too. Sad face. <laughs> I've so been trying to figure it out without any luck. Sad face. So last week, went back to my Linux boot. When, uh, he probably means oh, Windows. Oh, Windows boot. And added to the player software, Samsung, that downloaded it. Then it too could not transfer them. Sad face. But I could do the old drag and drop in Windows. So the upshot is that I have spent the last two days trucking, listening to all 14 plus extra podcasts. Happy face, happy face. Excellent. And man, are you good. Happy face. It's worth all the messing about to get them. And I can't wait for the next release. Now I'm up to date. Happy face. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Luke. UK. And I just realized I've used totally the wrong accent if you're from UK. <laughs> Why are you called platypus if you're from the UK? Um, <sighs> Luke, thank you very much. I'm glad you like I'm glad you're liking them so far. And um try doing the drag and drop in Linux. Just drag from the Amarok playlist over to a conqueror window that's opened on your MP3 player. Should dr do the same thing as drag and drop in Windows, and you'll be fine. I don't know why you think you couldn't top me. <laughs> so, <laughs> that sad face, happy face was great. <laughs> Not to mention all of our Australian and um, listeners are going to be rolling <laughs> in the aisles when they hear that. I've got cousins that are Australian. We don't talk about them, but, but they exist. <laughs> uh, Kitty, what have you got for me over there? Nothing nearly as <laughs> But it's you. <laughs> You've got all three of us beat by about, you know, three or four commitments to a psych ward. Jeez, he's so sweet. This is a woman who has no fear of commitment, ladies and gentlemen. Boom. I'll have you committed. Ooh. Okay. Straight jacket time. I'll go knit one. Okay. A knitted I... straight jacket. She's got a pattern. Don't tempt her. Uh, hold on, uh, let me preface this saying, this one was sent to both me and to Nathan Lowell, which is who Nathan is, of the quarter share, half share, uh, golden golden age of the Solar Clipper series. Yes, yeah. the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Who plays Bill Shelley in Antithesis. 
I've been listening to Antithesis all along, enjoying its excellent production and intricacies. Modern thinking man science fiction at its best. Now, thanks to the feedback show dealing in number three, I have found quarter share and returned to the great adventure stories of my youth. I'm about halfway through one-eighth share and loving it. What a combo. Antithesis is like Beethoven's third or fifth, full of surprises, complex and high-powered, with special characters and varied situations. Quarter share is like the sixth. Lyrical, smooth, and interesting. Easy to recognize characters and to immerse oneself into the story. The two are also like living here in the Holy, holy Land. Sometimes idyllic, sometimes dangerous. A time for war and a time for peace. But always intense and never, ever boring. Much obliged to both of you for your creativity, talent, very hard work, and generosity in sharing your stories with us. Best, David in Israel. Thank you, David, very much. This has got to be one of my favorite feedbacks so far. To get compared to Beethoven's third and fifth is just <laughs> warms the cockles of my classical Baroque geeky heart. And, and it's uh, very important to keep your cockles warm. Yes, yes. I don't have no cockles. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but, I have yeah. no comment. Yeah. <laughs> Helps with the chicken scissors when you don't have any cockles. <laughs> Anyway, um, thank you very much. That's I'm very pleased that you're liking it. That's absolutely fabulous. This one is from Tristan Johnson. Hey, it's Tristan P.E.J. from Twitter. I am about halfway through episode six, and I have a question about your sci-fi universe. The invention of the Internet has pretty much led to the end of censorship. Many try, but they have failed to censor what has turned into one of the greatest achievements in human history. In your universe, centuries in the future, you reference the internet is still around, and I was curious about it. <coughs> My first question is just to get a more general overview of what role in the internet plays in antithesis society. <laughs> Say that ten times fast. Your portrayal of Earth is one that shows a world with a lot more censorship. Everyone is under surveillance, and the idea of personal freedom seems to have changed. I was curious how an invention like the Internet and in its inherent nature allows for this type of society to flower. Another thing I was curious about was the Internet off-world. Is it slow? Do planets all have to have their own Internet separate from the Earth one just due to logistics? Lastly, is there anything indicative that's new of the Internet? You know, Web 79.0 must be doing something <laughs> neat. I look forward to hearing about this as I, too, am writing a large-scale sci-fi universe, and I'm still at a loss on how to portray those aspects of the net. Uh, thank you very much, Tristan, for the comments. And uh, yes, the Internet is still around. Um, even the web is still around. Um, the Internet in the, in the world of antithesis is ubiquitous, and yes, each planet will have their own... Um, separate backbone that uh, then they communicate between themselves at um, you know, high speed, but it's over a long distance. You're limited by the speed of light. So your query time and looking up something on a remote server is going to be quite curtailed. But when the information starts pouring in, it'll pour in at a high rate. Uh, that's just, that's the limitations of physics operating. Yeah, that physics. Yeah. Someone got to go back and kill Einstein so we can get rid of this universal speed limit thing. Um, the uh, as far as censorship, um, the internet has not ended censorship. What it's done is it's made censorship ineffective. There are always going to be humans who have um, 
such a weak sense of self and their own values that they feel compelled to ensure their own morality or security or feeling of wellness that uh that to that to do that they need to repress the freedoms of their neighbors that they're afraid that they would exercise if they had them um and that's i think that's something intrinsic in human nature that's not going to change the percentage of people who feel that way may diminish as i think it's quite uh quite readily apparent that it's diminished over the course of the last century but i don't think it's going to change that that element will always be with us so what I foresee is an escalating arms race between those who like to be left alone and those who want to control their neighbors so they can feel um, not threatened ideologically, intellectually, emotionally, or physically. There's a few other factors that I can uh, foresee in here. Mm. One, you have a, um, a self-selection of the people who prefer independence and privacy moving towards yeah. the outer yeah, portions of the system. That, yeah. Yeah. So this in its, you know, what, what you're going to end up with, all of the radicals who are currently stuck in San Francisco, you know, San Francisco, <laughs> Berkeley, um, you know, the mountains of Montana, what have you. Um, these people who otherwise would prefer to withdraw from society, but don't really have anywhere to go mm -hmm. are going to be able to get off world. Yeah going to be able to create well, new society some of them yeah. right so this is going and it's going to be in the best interest of totalitarians to make sure that those people can be transported as efficiently mm -hmm. as possible it's just like the wild west or you know when right. you send people to australia mm -hmm. exactly. <laughs> well, and, and there's um and and the colonial situation is actually a very good paradigm if you look at at old europe old europe continues to be monarchical even to this day at least to some extent in in england there's a great affection for the idea that one person can run the world. Now, they don't actually let them do it anymore, <laughs> but they want to keep the symbol around because it's kind of cute and sexy. And, um, yeah, I mean, if, um, if you read, uh, say, Philip Pullman's critique of Lord of the Rings, one of the things he hits Tolkien upside the head for over and over is for being um, so naively uh, royalist in his thinking. Mm. And I think, I think it's a very, um, a very valid criticism of the way Tolkien thought. But you do have you have the self-selection um, that resonates even to this day. If you go back to um, Europe and you talk to people about, say, firearms ownership, mm -hmm. you're going to get 80, 90 percent of the people in Europe are like, yeah, Americans are crazy. They just want to shoot people because that would be the only reason you'd have a gun, right? You come to America and despite 100 years of gun control laws almost now, and a section of the society that is vocal and significant that doesn't like dangerous weapons being in the hands of their neighbors, the vast majority of people, even who want weapons regulated, still want the freedom to own it themselves. And there's that current through America that's been carried over because of the kinds of people that America attracted. But that's interesting because New Zealand was also a, front, a frontier right. world for a long time mm. and it's it's quite different it's quite different a couple things that are different i think is uh new zealand adopted the parliamentary system which america didn't and there are a lot of very strange things about the way the american republic is put together that is designed to keep the government from being effective mm. um, parliamentary democracy really really tries to be effective constitutional republicanism tries to be as ineffective as possible while keeping the society running it's it's a rigged system. It's designed not to work. 
Um, and the and one of the ideas behind that was if if it works too well, you're going to cause a revolution. So what you do is you leave the power to create a revolution in the hands of the people, and then you create a system that is weak enough that it won't inspire a revolution. So you've got two checks against tyranny mm-hmm. built into the system. There's also the um, the fact that the resistance to to colonization in mm-hmm. North America was, I think, much greater than it was in New Zealand. Yes. Um, you had a large. We just stuck. We just stuck around with the Brits for a long time, and right. eventually they gave up on us. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> well, also, but you had a large population of native peoples in right. the American continent that mm. was far, far outnumbered what you know the Maoris had in in New yeah. Zealand. They had a and, significant uh, population when when the when the British turned up. But when did the British turn up? Um, well, New Zealand was founded. The founding document is eighteen. 30s, 1840s. Mm. Okay. So, so that's like three. It's, quite, it's not that long ago. Yeah, 300 years after they started putting people on North America. Mm-hmm. Mm. So technologically, you know, the mm. the equi- we were much better equipped to kill native peoples. Right. Oh yeah, the, well, the, the we Maori. were also selling yeah. them guns though. So. <laughs> the Maori kicked um, the the British armies, but the, the whole right. story is that mm-hmm. the. Every war, every battle, the Maori won, but the British just overwhelmed them eventually and they won the war. Mm. But another factor at play, because America is so huge, I mean, still, even today, with the massive population we've got, less than uh, 20% of the landmass is actually occupied. Mm -hmm. Um, If you haven't haven't been to America or if you live in an American city and you haven't gone on a cross-country road trip, it's very hard to appreciate just how empty the land is. Um, but the fact that the land is so empty means that you see in in Europe, which has been densely populated for thousands of years, in a dense populated situation, you learn to give up some freedoms in exchange for some security because you have um, to. because you've got or a pow- at least the illusion of security. Or the illusion of security. Be- well, because you've got a, a potential powder keg of a situation whenever you've got that many people stuffed that closely together. If you're living out on a cattle ranch, four hundred miles from anywhere. You don't have a gun, you're dead at the hands of predators or because you can't find enough food if, you're, uh, if your supplies go bad or whatnot. It's a survival matter. So for all of these reasons, America has maintained that maverick attitude that, has, that went by the wayside in Europe a long, long time ago. I think New Zealand is pretty maverick, but the, yeah. but the whole attitude to guns is completely different. Right, but yeah, in New Zealand, the attitudes about about uh, but though admittedly we don't have giant bears wandering exactly. around exactly. Not face off yeah, and, not so much in the way of large predators. Cougars, yeah, yeah, you might get picked by a kiwi or you yeah, know. We got mountain lions in the hills here. Yeah, yeah, you see them at the side of the road every once in a while. Of course, you don't need to worry about shooting them now, do you? Um, if you're in an urban not situation, very, well, not very often, but every once in a while, one will like come come into a park and attack somebody or that sort of thing. Mm. But um, we try not to shoot them because we almost drove them to extinction. We want them to come back, but mm-hmm. we want to try to work out a truce. Not get them, let them chew on you too much, right? <laughs> but anyway, that's a long mm-hmm. a long discursion. But that's one of the reasons that uh, that's that's several of the reasons that Americans continue to prefer. The right to gun ownership, even if most Americans prefer not to own one themselves. They want the option. The other thing that I think is a, a potential um, enabling factor for, for censorship in mm-hmm. this is the very fact that you have um, these long-distance connections yeah, between you've worlds. you've got choke points. Yeah, choke points, exactly. Anytime you create mm-hmm. a choke point, you create a place where somebody who is in power, who mm-hmm. owns the pipeline – 
can regulate what goes through right. it. However, I, I do have to point out that in the world of Antithesis, there isn't actually much in the way of censorship. What there is, is there's... Um, surveillance? Yeah, there, there's a lot more in the way of surveillance. And that's something that people who are on the internet have, have difficulty remembering. You, you lose the ability to effectively censor at the cost of losing privacy. Right. And that's the trade-off you make. Privacy isn't actually a freedom. Being secure in your person and your possessions is a freedom. Privacy is not something that is guaranteed anywhere in anybody's constitution. Supreme Court rulings to the contrary. Well, notwithstanding. Well, no, there's there's the things the government ha privacy from the government is um is implicit in certain senses, but um not not the right to drop off the face of the earth. Right. They don't have the right to force you to be on the face of the earth. You don't have the right really to drop off it. It's just something that you play out in real time. It's one of those it's one of those battlefields you got. But um the internet makes privacy a null null consideration. Anyone who has enough savvy right now can find out if you own a cell phone, they know they can find out where you're sitting. If you have, if you have ever owned a home or been married or shared um, utilities with anyone, they can find out probably the list of several people you've slept with. Bank records, financial records, none of that's private anymore. And none of it ever will be again. That's the fact of the matter, as unpleasant as it seems. Unless we end up moving off planet to a new col colonial society well, where you've but, got restrictions on the amount of um, communication that can happen. Well... Even then, because any any society that's that has the ability to self-sustain is going to have to be so heavily networked internally mm -hmm. that it's essentially a total surveillance state. When you've got every external wall as a potential pressure breach, mm. you have to be able to monitor every surface. True, true. Now, what happens is that um, you, the data stream is so large that you get swamped, and it makes it very difficult to, you can't just look for someone who's doing X activity. What you have to do is say, what is this person doing or who was at this location at this particular time? Mm -hmm. Or you um, can set up uh, search algorithms that search watch algorithms for certain that, patterns of communication. Right, which you can then learn to fool. And, you know, and it's, there's, but it's an evolutionary arms race and it will continue to go on. But the flip side of that is that governments also lose the ability to keep secrets. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the reasons that what Shelley is doing, for whatever reason he's doing it, is so incredibly risky. Because you don't, you cannot keep a secret in a transparent society. Or you can't keep it for long unless you are extremely good at gaming the system. Mm -hmm. um, or you kill everyone who knows about or it. Or you kill everyone who knows about it. Um, those are the only two ways to keep it secret. You... Now, there are ways to keep a secret without actually hiding the information, such as... Um, What's that old proverb? The most effective lie is 90% true, or mm. is the truth told in an unconvincing manner? Mm. You know, the, the facts being in the open doesn't actually guarantee that you know what's going on. Purloined letter situation. Right. But in a transparent technological society, the facts are eventually all in the open. And we're already seeing that. We've seen that over the last 30 years in the U.S., the diminishing ability of presidents to keep secrets of their dirty tricks. Yeah. Um, you know, if... What we know about Kennedy now, if it was known at the time, Kennedy would never have been the hero of the left that he was yeah, um, or the hero of the, of the hoi polloi that he was. He was just as corrupt as Bush for many of the same reasons. <laughs> wasn't nearly as rash in his judgment, but he wasn't really all that circumspect either. He did get us into Vietnam to cover his uh, – to, to increase his popularity after he failed at the Bay of Pigs. Mm -hmm. This is a man – 
who in the 60s started a war in order to up his popularity ratings. Not to mention that he bollocks things up with Khrushchev, which and, made people, yep. th- the Soviets, think that he was weak enough that they could push him on the, the, on whole... the Cuban Missile Crisis. Exactly. Um, those kinds of things don't get hidden anymore in a transparent society. And we've already mm-hmm. seen the beginnings of that, both in us, the people, losing privacy, and in the people we give the job to lead us to losing their ability to keep secrets. Mm-hmm. And that paradigm will only continue. And it's something we will either get used to or will seriously threaten our our civilization. A good book to look into on this subject is called The the Transparent Society by David Brin. Mm-hmm. And an older, that David Brin? That David Brin, mm. and an older philosophy book along the same lines, which is absolutely essential to understanding a lot of what's gone on mm. since World War II, is The Open Society and Its Enemies by Karl Popper. Two other things to keep in mind when it comes to um, the the suppression of information in, uh, in a, a society like ours. One is pre-censorship, self-censorship, yes. on the basis of the lack of privacy. Mm -hmm. If you know that you can be watched at any time and that anybody can theoretically pull um, your email records and find out what you're saying, it's just like knowing that your boss is monitoring your email at work. You may never, um, they may never bother to do so, but the fact that they can imposes a Mm self-censorship on your behavior unless you are particularly uh, bloody-minded or um, Mm -hmm. feel a, a... need to get this information out. Agriculture brought us out of a tribal situation. You suddenly had the ability to live independently in a very small family group when before you needed a larger family group in order to to survive as hunter-gatherers. Trade allowed us to form large networks where we could build cities and have anonymous dealings with people. And that situation has been the case for the last uh, 4,500 years in the cities, and more and more of the population has been urbanized. We're finally at a point where more people in the world, for the first time in history, live in cities than live in the country worldwide. But what's happened is our technology has allowed our technology that allows instantaneous communication, that allows you to hear what I'm saying right now on a podcast, also allows us all to live in a small town. Whether we want to or not, we live on a block where everyone knows your name, everyone can see whatever you're doing, and you have one of two choices in that situation. You are either honest about who you are and say to hell with everybody else and what they think, mm-hmm. and you make, your, you make your associations by choice, or you try to do what people, what, pe- what people pleasers automatically do, which is to try to conform yourself to any given situation and hope that your social networks don't overlap too much. Um, you know, you put on your game face over here and you're a different person over here. For some people, one strategy is going to work. For others, others are going to work. But the one option nobody has anymore is to be anonymous. Another thing that I was going to uh, mention that uh, has an effect on all of this is that the the easy accessibility of communications and uh, the easy accessibility of this vast amount of information makes perpetuating the big lie a lot easier because there is too there are too many um, data in the 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 world for anybody to really find out what's going on unless they are extremely persistent. Mm-hmm. So we look to the people, the professionals who collate data, cross-reference it, and interpret it 
to form as the basis for forming our opinions. Right. Mm-hmm. We don't go out, you know, how many people have actually read the 9-11 report? Not very many. And so, yeah. <laughs> well, you, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I also read the Star Report all the way through. Right. So the vast majority of people have not, and they form their opinions on the basis mm-hmm. of the things they read in the newspaper, the things that they read in the magazines. Or the things, things like loose change online. And yeah, things that they read from bloggers. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was following the election most of my you know information that i got was from donkelfund which is a uh, centrist political blog mm-hmm. because i recognized that these people had about the same political affiliation that i did and they were probably going to pull down information that was mm-hmm. going to be of interest to me yeah. and provide and but, analysis on it. But, but, the, but that's that's the danger part there. Exactly. Human beings by nature tend to gravitate towards sources of information that already agree with what they believe. Mm-hmm. We, you know, people who go to church, what do they do? You look for a church that agrees with your theology. Uh-huh. Um, that was kind of my point. Right. Yeah, and it's something well, we that all, I myself am guilty of. We all want to, to feel like, because what I do in the, in the library is try not to filter anything because mm-hmm. a lot of this, you know, you, you yep. <clears throat> a lot of the the people that we do research for, they just don't have the time, yeah, to go around and look. And, and these things are important to them, so we we spend our time going out and researching. Mm-hmm. But you've got to be damn careful that you're not mm-hmm. making judgment calls, right? Editorial calls, Ed- editorial calls. So you do like when we do a, a research for a person. We pull down things that we that, that are in that field, mm-hmm. so we've narrowed it down. But we don't narrow it down any further, so that we're at the point where we're making the choices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what what you'll find is that in any in any given um, interest area, whether it's politics or economics or engineering or or science, mm-hmm. you have your balkanizing um, factions, mm-hmm. and then you'll have um, and, and you'll even have a centrist balkanizing faction who says that you know the truth is always somewhere in between, but in any community like that, you'll also have people who are interested in <coughs> chasing it down because they actually want to understand. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that are good to go to for information because what they'll do is they'll say, well, if you read this source, they'll tell you this. If you read this source, they'll tell you that. If you read this other source, they'll tell you that. If you want my opinion, I can give it to you, but you're better off reading these sources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you those know. people are, are as rare as hen's teeth in yes. our society. But yeah. I think they're going to become more common. I think they're a lot more common now than they were 20, 30 years ago when doing such a thing required massive amounts of legwork and library mm. work. Mm-hmm. Now you can sit down and do it at a computer if that's your hobby, you know, in right. whatever area your hobby is in. But the difficulty is because you don't really know whether the person who you're getting your information right. from is a one of those people or is mm-hmm. a front for the machine or is a mm-hmm. front for a radical fringe faction. Yeah. You're never quite sure where you're no. getting your information mm. from. But that's why critical thinking is important. It is. And, and critical be- thinking depends upon the you know being able to discern the veracity of your data. Well, yes, but it's also a process thing. If you get two critical thinkers in a room who completely disagree with each other, mm-hmm. they can have a productive discussion. If you get a party thinker in a critical if you get two party thinkers who disagree with each other in a room, they'll come to blows. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I disagree on many things. Are you going to come to blows? No. We're, we're both very critical oh, thinkers. damn, I was going to throw in some jello. <laughs> Not that kind of blows. <laughs> <laughs> but we, Straight to the gutter. But, but we sit down and, and have very productive conversations that send us both reading each other's sources. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's 
I'm, I'm biased, of course, but that's the way it should be. Well, that expands your knowledge, doesn't yeah. it? If you, um... Yeah. But yeah, but you're right. The kind of people who um, every frontier culture throughout history has been more liberal than the ones before. And I don't mean liberal in the old French political left, right. Mm. I mean liberal in the classical sense where a conservative is one who values the judgment of authority over the judgment of the individual. And the liberal is the one who values the judgment and freedom of the individual over the needs and wishes of the authority structure. Mm-hmm. Um, every frontier culture throughout history has been progressively more and more liberal. Those inflections of liberalism have varied from place to place mm-hmm. based on the needs and composition of the society. <coughs> but New Zealand and America are far more liberal than most parts of old Europe are even now. Except for the Dutch. Except for the Dutch, <laughs> who were the ultimate exile community, the ultimate yeah. self-exile community. That's where all the intellectuals ran to from Europe from persecution. And they haven't lost that tradition yet. They, and hopefully they cling they, to it. They cling to it. They understand how valuable it is. Mm. The same thing is going to happen with the moon and the outer colonies. The first wave of people that go up are all going to have PhDs. Or they're going to be prisoners. No, that'll be the second or third wave. <laughs> the first wave of people Mission that go Australia. up are all going to be scientists and support staff. They will all have gotcha. PhDs and um, and high-level mm-hmm. training in different areas. Mm-hmm. Second wave of people that are going to go up are going to be entrepreneurs and prisoners. You're going to have a very radically different self-selected group, which is one of the reasons why um, – well, I'm not giving any, anything away by saying this because I won't tell you how it comes up. But uh, one of the issues that comes up later on in Antithesis is that there are no marriage laws in the colony, mm. in the colonies at all. While um, the U.S. still has the two-person only marriage laws. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of our characters have grown up in the U.S. in secretive poly marriages. Mm. And uh, and uh, some of the people in the colonies find this very strange because it, wait that's illegal on Earth you know you don't do that but one of the reasons that's the case is that people who are out on the frontier are more likely to socially experiment mm-hmm. and it changes the culture so anyway that's a very long and and preachy mm-hmm. response to your mm-hmm. email Chris, Tristan I think you're oh, helping man. but check check it out um, <laughs> David Brin. Um, the Transparent Society, and Karl Popper, The Open Society and Its Enemies. They will help you with your research for your book, and I look forward to seeing what you do with it. And, uh, let's see. I think it's your turn, Pip. Shall I read this one from Mildred? Oh, God. Uh, I've actually got an audio of that. Hey, Dan. This is Mildred. You know, that constant commenter? I've commented on the website. We've emailed. We've Twittered. I've listened to your other stories and podcasts. This time, I figured that you should hear my voice. First of all, hi, Philippa. Likewise with the tweeting and commenting on the Erotica a la carte website. I love your writing and performances on other casts and would say more, but since this is Dan's show, I'll stop with the gushing and focus on the show at hand. Oh, oh, I love all the gushing. Yay me, right. (laughs) Okay, Predestination, episode 15. I think you may have beaten J.C. Hutchins by pulling the ultimate stunt in cliffhangers with not only one but two cliffhangers in one episode Woo-hoo! first cliffhanger i'm wondering what cassie is going to do when she finds out that doug was supposed to be there and that he's been part of the resistance all along unless you've pulled another sneaky on me and he's not 
And if that's the case, you've been very mean to Jade and to have a bad man as a lover and a fanatical sister who's about to kill her. <laughs> I'm wondering how big the fight that Joss and Cassie are going to have now and how much of the known universe it's going to shake up in the process. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? Stay tuned. It You find out soon what's going on. Second cliffhanger, the attack on the ball. First of all, it's actually good to see Percy Scott back. I was wondering what had happened to him since Miriam's attack. He's one of my favorite characters, right up there with Joss, because of everything he's willing to do for what he believes in, even when he is doing something that is the exact opposite of the common behaviors expected for someone with his conviction. I've been getting this feedback from from a lot of people, and I'm very surprised how many people really like Percy. I would love to hear your guys' opinions on Percy. <laughs> And this strange dyna- strange effect he has on my fans. I think that Percy is an authoritarian. I think that he is a person who does his duty because that's what he's told, been told his duty is by the person who is accepted as authority over him. And he's willing to do whatever is necessary or whatever the people in charge say is necessary. But every man has their limits. And I think that Percy is reaching his. I think that... Um, having been forced to do to his wife what he had to do, I think that that broke something in him. And I think that he's, at this point, he's a ticking time bomb. Could be. I don't find him that attractive. (laughs) Personally, if I was his wife, I'd be very upset with his behavior. Um, But I guess that that is the authoritarian sort of aspect is quite um, attractive to to people. Um, You know what you're, you're getting it's dependable it's dependable um but yeah well it's dependable up until the point where yes. you, where the authority tells him to do something to you <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I, I was impressed that that he got to that point where he was able to do that to his wife um <laughs> i i i yeah yeah. It's, it's not admirable. Yeah. It's not admirable. Yeah, yeah, is... And perhaps he should have stopped before, you know, yeah. that would have been the breaking point beforehand, mm. maybe. But um, it, it, I guess it is indicative of how deep his training and um, brainwashing brainwashing goes mm. that, that that was happening. Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. Percy is, is an authoritarian and he's a man of very deep convictions, as are most of the people in the universe. Mm-hmm. They just, some of them have really fucked up convictions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing I did notice was that he couldn't or didn't think Miriam's name once. The last time we saw him, the thought of Miriam was his anchor, despite what he did to her in her father's name. Now, it seems that he can't even think of her. Yep, that's right. His, the shame has set in. Mm. And uh, when, when, when you get ashamed of something, you begin to um, euphemize it, even in your internal monologue. It's just easy and, to cut it out. Yeah, and that's what he's doing. I mean, yeah, it's very deliberate. There's this one point he, where he says, uh, you know, he, he's hoping that he could fix things even after dot, 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 even after everything he had to do. Yeah. And he doesn't think her name. He can't even think about what he did. He's, uh, he's very ashamed of it. And He's aggressively not dealing with the problem. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to think, put myself in the... And Miriam's point of view. Okay, so that was you. Okay, well, come. remember she thinks he's dead. Okay, so it'd be a case of, um, yay, you're not dead. Oh, you bastard! <laughs> Could be. Now I kill you. 
That's assuming he makes it back to That's her. true. This is true. Might be easier if he didn't. You're uh, too good for him, Marion. <laughs> <laughs> One side comment. Inner literary geek? You never. <laughs> You're not even going to deny that one, are you? Nope. <laughs> About dealing in number three. You didn't archive my Twitters? I'm shocked at you, Dan. Really, I am. I beg your humble forgiveness. <laughs> Honestly, it was really great to hear everyone else's comments. And damn, if I ever get to the Bay Area, I have to meet you, Chris, and Kitty, and share a drink. Or do you get to conventions out here on the East Coast? Perhaps Balticon or DragonCon? I will be at Balticon this year. You're on. I will not be at Balticon this year, but I may be at DragonCon. I'm trying to come. It depends on whether I can afford it or not. I want to be at both, damn it. Or just ever have a reason to get to New York? The first round is on me, or I'll bring a bottle of something nice. Uh, it would take a lot. I'm No offense, Millie, but I've been to New York. It would take a lot more than just you to bring me back. <laughs> at least if we're talking New York City. Now, if you're talking upstate, yeah, it's a bit of a different place. That's, that's much nicer. But New York, I... Fighting through New York traffic in rush hour once was plenty. Thank you. I quite like New York, but mind you, I wasn't driving anywhere. Yeah. Dan, as always, great work. And since we haven't seen that right sociopathic bastard, Senator Kelly, on stage for some time now, I'm really wondering what he's up to. Hint, hint. Well, he's going to be back, but I don't remember how many more episodes it's going to be before he shows up again. It's uh, definitely not next. Next, uh, it's definitely not next week, and it may be a few weeks after that. I don't remember. Have a good night, all. Bye. So, uh, thank you for the feedback, Millie, and keep sending them in. Okay, here I have a comment on the blog for dealing in episode three. Recursive feedback number two. This is from Lunar Shadow. I got a few really good laughs out of this installment. Crack Addicted Monkeys comes to mind. <laughs> it was great that you had Lester and Kitty on. It kept it lively. Okay, folks, please call me Chris. <laughs> please. Lester is my... That's Lester what, isn't what... even my dad. Lester is... That's like what Patrick uh, Hollyfield would call you, isn't it? Yeah. Lester! Yes, yes. No, there, but, but look, there's Chris Moody, there's Chris Lester, there's Chris Brogan, there's Chris what, Miller. Miller from Potty Books. There's, there's a Chris lot, the Fixed Chris Kitty. The fi there's a lot of Chris's around. Yes, but I don't like being called Lester. Uh, we call you Daniel we'll just Shirabi. call you Chris of the Forget-Me-Not Blue Eyes. <laughs> and the Flowing Locks. And the Flowing Locks. I think you are a bit hard on yourself when it comes to the title. I think it is perfect. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. I appreciate it, but it's not. Also knowing, <laughs> also knowing what you are playing at with the titles in the Antithesis series, I think it, that it is well named. This crack-addicted monkey is awaiting his latest fix. Laughing face. <laughs> well, you will get another fix very soon. But yes, the title will eventually change. I'm probably just going to ride it through the first book and then change the series title next book. I've I've been playing with a few things and I'm I'm getting close to something I like. Um, off mic, I'd love to. Yeah, titles are hard. Yeah, titles are hard. Uh, da, 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 da. So, who is this? So, this is from to? Marcy Alona Alana. La, la, la. That's her name, Marcy Alana Lovell. Um, I think your podcast is wonderful and broad and twisted as the story is. I am still wondering where it is going to go and how it will all tie together. It is one of the most delightful I listen to. Looking forward to meeting you on the 10th. Marcy. 
Oh, you're going to be there on the 10th. Excellent. Now, for all of the, for those of you who have not heard me droning on and on and on about it endlessly, on January 10th, Chris Lester, myself, Seth Harwood, Scott Sigler, and Cunning Minx. And a partridge in a pear tree. And a partridge in a pear tree. Lucky well, partridge. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's not a ptarmigan. <laughs> <laughs> or a bonobo. <laughs> Oh, boy, that would get interesting. Um, we're all going to be at Borderlands Books in San Francisco at 3 o'clock for Scott Sigler's signing, and then we're heading over to the Phoenix Pub afterwards to do a joint Bay Area pod novelist pub crawl. Now, that's by the 16th Street Mission uh, stop? Yeah, on Valencia Street and Mission, yeah. Right, 16th Street Mission, I think, is the I closest is the BART, Bart station. Stop. Yeah. So I'm not driving in San Francisco. I'll tell you that right so now. So join us at the bookstore if you want to um, watch Sigler give his uh, local stump speech for his dictatorial ambitions. Or come about 45 minutes later and uh, meet us at the pub. And um, it's literally right across the street and like down two doors. And we'll all have some good drinks and some good times harassing each other. It'd be good. Woohoo! The beginning of the podcasting commune. Yeah. Oh, yes. We've we've got to do the podcasting commune someday, but not with Sigler. No, no. no. You can't have a commune with Sigler. You can only have a kingdom. He's not very communal, and he's too short to be a king. I'm sorry. Oh, Napoleon. Well, yes. Look what but... happened to him. <laughs> <laughs> he invaded Russia. That was his first mistake. Yes. yes. Never get involved in a land war, war in Asia. Asia. <laughs> Only slightly less well-known. <laughs> Never go up against a Sicilian, Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> we are such geeks. Oh, yes. Really? <laughs> didn't notice. You didn't? Do you want me to read the whole thing? Uh, yeah, what, uh, what's next? This is from uh, Kim, the comic <clears throat> book oh, goddess. Oh, wow. Ooh, that Kim. Shall I, really Kim. Read it? Shall I try and read it in a sexy comic book goddess voice? Oh, yes, please. Well, you've got the first part down. <laughs> I won't try an American accent. Dan. <laughs> okay, I haven't really changed my assessment. I think that Senator Kelly hasn't changed his politics at all. I think he's acting in what he ever feels. La, la, la. I think he's acting in what he feels is the best interests in the, of the USNA. He's forcing the hands of the most dangerous enemies and aiming them directly at each other. As a side effect, he is also positioned to enjoy a few public opinion victories and lessen the internal influence of the president. I think Senator Shelley has supported Luna's autonomy in the past because it was the easiest way to make sure Luna wouldn't turn against them. As we know, he's disassembling on the Senate floor, he knows, and believes that the Luna colony is going to secede. Succeed. Succeed in seceding. Succeed in seceding. Furthermore, he's made Doug... He knows Doug is with the resistance and is using the scheme to flush him out. He knows the danger that a free lunar presents to the USNA. As we hear Doug think, he can't call on his political capital to help Lunar out, and Luna isn't ready to be forced into a conflict. The colonies don't have much of a military force, and the Federation hasn't been ratified. Yes, the resistance is wide open, because Shelley's people have blown a hole in it. Percy's next mission focuses the eyes of the resistance on a false Persian plot to infiltrate the organization, ensuring that Luna won't go to the Persians to secure help against for the just cause that he's trumped up for the US to go to war with Luna. Care to comment before I go on? Yes, that is uh, Chris Lester's nose in the background, by the way. Damn, Sorry, it's guys. sexy. 
came on with a bit of a cold this weekend. <laughs> he is one sexy bastard. Yes, he is. It's like bathing in the sun of two... Bathing basking in the light of twin suns when he looks at you with those forget-me-not blue eyes. His flowing locks. <laughs> Care to comment whether uh, Kim is getting close? Uh, I can't because uh, no matter what I say, it'll tip the hand to other people who may want to enter the contest. Oh, never tip your hand. Right. But Uh, uh, it's very, very nice bit of analysis there. I'm actually quite impressed. Shall I continue on and see how close to the bones you get? Yes, please go. Hrum. Some other bits. Shelley knew his daughter well enough to know that he would need to distract her from browbeating him not to change his vote. So he staged, staged the death of Percy. I'm not sure exactly what Joss found out about him, but I'm willing to make a small wager that there is a connection to why Percy is so loyal. I don't think he got rid of Joss just because of what he knew. I think he got rid of Joss because of what he could have figured out. Hmm. Ah, well. Hmm. Maybe I'm completely off base. Maybe. In general review, I was fine with the establishment of Jim and Ally's anger. I had realized the passage of time to be significant, and the pre-existing issues were established. Although I might suggest that rather than a timeline in the printed version, you include the passage of time in the chapter thoughts, for example. Yeah, which I actually do already. Or expand the discussion in the long, cold journey to to enumerate the eight long months it has taken them. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was the establishment of Percy's character that I found lacking. So here's here's the opposite of Percy. The the other I love Percy. In the story, he goes from blissful to complete. Completely guano and one half of a monkey's hair. (laughs) I don't think my confusion over whether the character was simply majorly unstable, which is a different tray than than stably psychopathic, or if he'd just been given a truly dastardly assignment contributed to my enjoyment of the story. I would have liked to have seen Percy in action first, perhaps on the last assignment where he had cause to harm major harm or murder rather than just to have him thinning and rather than have rather than just to have him thinking and staring at a futuristic tower of babel don't get me wrong the tower is cool it's just that in a character driven book i wish i'd get more of a sense of him before he was thrown into the crucible hmm that's interesting there i actually thought about warn me next time <laughs> <laughs> is that a commentary chris <laughs> He just gets me silver clump. Okay. <laughs> I can't help it. I can't help it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let me know when you're done. Are you All finished right, dripping now, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I actually thought about doing um doing that when I was uh I realized I needed to introduce Percy in chapter one as opposed to in chapter two, which is where he originally came in, um because. Otherwise, it would be way too much of a cold shower or of dropping into a cold bath when he turned all weird and started beating people up. But um, as I cycled through the different ways of um, that such a character is usually introduced, you know, you know, in the midst of torturing somebody or or murdering somebody or in the bed of a prostitute or anything else, you know, that would you could have like a you know the classic James Bond, right. you know, in the in the casino royale where you see him and he's beating the hell out of somebody, right? <laughs> and it's just beside aside from being um, being rather cliched, which I don't like to do, um, all of those lend an immediate prejudice against the character in a majorly big way. And that's not something I wanted to do with Percy. 
There's also a, a problem with uh, realism in the world. The world of espionage is not filled with murder, despite what you see in television. Wet work does happen. So that's their euphemism for assassinating someone. Wet work does happen, and um, torture does happen, but it's exceedingly rare. Most of espionage is extremely boring. It's watching things and taking notes. And Percy's job was eyes on the ground in Kyoto, or in I'm sorry, in Quito, and there's just not a lot of opportunity to kill people in Quito, and that would have been a to, bit gratuitous. Yes. It would have been gratuitous if, unless I set up a whole separate plot line, um, that a backstory that I just I, there it would have been a distraction from the main plot of the story. So I decided to go. More with the subtle approach to show you through the way he thought about his job, that he was very authoritarian, that he thought about authority in very religious and devotional terms, and that there was something about this guy that was a little bit off and mm. that he was dangerous without <clears throat> forcing his danger down your throat in in you know in a raping the audience kind of way. I, I, li I actually like the way that that he was introduced because it was a little bit a little bit different and a bit more subtle. And it Thank also you. because you hadn't seen it before when he actually got to the point where he was doing it it was a bit more of a a slap in the face. Yeah, and that was the other part too. What I was hoping would happen and you guys can tell me whether you think I achieved this or not. And if I didn't, I'll definitely go back and take another look. But uh, I was hoping it would be the kind of thing where you get slapped in the face and then you look back and you go, oh, I should have seen that coming. Yeah. It was foreshadowed. And in fact, shall I continue on to the rest of the yes, comment please. or did you want to comment? Well, I was, I was oh, going to yeah. say when I first heard that scene with him and heard how he was thinking about the skyhook, I was like, oh, great. This guy is one of those. <laughs> you know, I've, I've had You've known some of those, huh? Well, the the whole um, Luddite, anti-technology, anti-progress, um, you know, religious fringe lunatic, um, that was pretty much how I, I had him labeled. And the, actually, one of the first things I thought is, how did this guy pass a psych profile for this kind of work? <laughs> um, there's an interesting story behind that, actually, that we find out in book two. Ah, okay. I, I, and it was the interesting that first scene as well. I li I liked the uh, the juxtaposition of how he was with his wife, and mm -hmm. then how what was actually going on in his head. Mm -hmm. um, you could sort of see him through her eyes, being you know absolutely smitten and deeply in love, and then you get into his head, and you're like, oh, honey. This isn't going to end well. Yeah. You just you could just see that that it was going to be coming mm -hmm. up for her as well. So, uh, uh, yeah, I can understand that it, that some people would would say, "Oh, well, I wanted to see the the action first. But yeah. I think that the, the more subtle approach is actually um, gives a bit of, big bigger impact for right. when he actually does let loose. Yeah, and the actually the other part of that too is that this there is a lot of action in the series, but it takes us a while to get there. And I didn't want to start off with a bang, and then have this long low yeah. period where everyone's like, "Where's our violence?" Like happened with Sigler and the rookie. He was getting, "Where's my violence, Sigler? Where's my violence?" all the time. I didn't want to have to deal with it that. Put, it puts off the pacing book. of the novel yeah, as well. Yeah, I'm going for a slow burn build. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't, you didn't shoot your load in the first episode. Right. <laughs> okay, I'll finish off the rest of the. Uh, Please do. Um, 
Oh, and I don't want to end before I thank you for your deliciously subtle foreshadowing. <laughs> so, Kim, you're saying, you're saying <laughs> thanks for the foreshadowing, but why didn't we get a bang? Right. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, freedom or security. You can have one or the other. No, I want them both. <laughs> See you in the potosphere where apparently people who subscribe to this feed on iTunes also subscribe to me. I noticed that. It's very cool. And that's uh, Kimberly Fortuna, host and comic book goddess in chief, Geek Parthenon Podcasts. Pantheon. 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 Yeah, Geek Pantheon Podcasts. Pantheon. Parthenon, I'm thinking. (laughs) I just fell into the big (laughs) searing (laughs) cultural gap again. Thank That's you. That's the sound of me falling into the cultural gap. <laughs> Thank you, Kim, very, very much. I love reading your theories. Keep them coming. I'm gonna get into some iTunes reviews now. Oh, there's some. <coughs> yeah, I've got some Twitters here as well. All right. So, iTunes review from Lunar Shadow. Title: Download this now. Five stars. Brilliant character-driven story. The author who brought you Sculpting God goes the quantum leap farther with Predestination and other games of chance. This exciting story is the first in what promises to be an amazing series. Cool. Um, So this is from Twitter, um, from Millie. Dan, love the dealing in and bonus episode. Gods, I have to meet you all! Rock on! Just wait till you hear the bonus sex episode that's coming soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Coming soon. <laughs> sex is always a bonus. <laughs> From CCW Curie, deal into this story, five stars. I was delightfully surprised with this story. It has kept me hooked into my computer slash iPod because I need to find out what happens next. I am looking forward to listening to more of Mr. Sawyer's work in the future. Well-advised download if you enjoy sci-fi and spy genres. Excellent. Thank you very much. Tristan P.E.J. Started listening to Predestination last night. I can't stop. Be glad I don't have anything important for a while. (laughs) (laughs) That's their evil laugh. Okay, from M.G. A must-listen pod novel, five stars. This is a very well-written story that has me hanging on for the next episode because I need to know what happens. It is also very well produced with the voice talents of a number of the best pod fiction authors and readers out there. Like both of you. No, thank, thank you. Thank you, sir. Actually, Tristan did write another one. Thank you very this much, is, This MG. is obviously where he's catching up. It's 6 a.m. and I'm not sleeping because I'm almost caught up on Antithesis. <laughs> one sleepless night! Yes! He says, you owe me a night's sleep. So I hope you're going to post him one. Yeah. <laughs> For Sleep those of the you week. who live in America, that means mail. <laughs> <laughs> you got mail. From Azure Storm Eater. Interesting name. Awesomeness. Five stars. Spy novels have been done and redone, but here's one you've never seen coming. This book combines the grittiest sci-fi suspense and vivid characters into a thrilling narrative that will keep anyone riveted. Wow. Riveted. Rivet. Oh, right. Rivet. I read? Thank you, Azure Storm, whatever. Eater. Storm Eater. Do they make Azure Storms in bite sized packages? Nom mm. nom. <laughs> I can have Storm. <laughs> you go in the hat, too. Okay. Uh, should I read Kim's tweets all at once? Yes, sure. Okay. Listen to an episode of yours last night. Looking forward to catching up eventually. 
Re-episode three feedback, good versus evil. Ever since Moon is a harsh, harsh mistress, I've been a loony. I'm rooting for them. And yes, as a loony, I'm on my own side. Good woman. Excellent. <laughs> good for you. Um, dude, should I be hiding in fear? <laughs> Probably. She must have gotten to episode seven. Dude, I've gotten far enough in your book that I might think I might need to if you're displeased. Ah, full stop. Middle of episode 11 was preoccupied last night, though. Think I've wigged out the senator's angle, but I'm waiting to know for sure. <laughs> and then finally, damn, left episode 15 at home. Didn't think I'd get to it. And now I have the whole ride home to stew. Where do I send death threats? <laughs> well, Mildred, funny you should mention Is that. that from Mildred or Kim? Or, and I'm it's sorry. Kim. Well, Kim, funny you should mention that because I have a phone number for death threats. <laughs> Send your death threats to 206-350-5739. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing them. Please include detailed plans for how you intend to accomplish it and what method by which you intend to kill me. I want to be able to tweet about it before it happens. You're like the, you're like the opposite of Sigler because he wants to kill his fans. <laughs> And you're offering to let your fans kill you. It was Colonel Mustard in the conservatory <laughs> with the monkey wrench. Uh, All right. So here we have from Robin in Seoul. Lunars unite. Four stars. Haven't, <gasps> haven't heard a story like this since I read The Moon is a Harsh Mistress as a kid. If you liked that, you'll love this. Thank you. I loved that book. It probably shows. Just a bit. Uh-oh. I hope it's not too derivative. <laughs> no, no. Oh, that's good. No. Did you want to read me this errata? I'm not sure if it's from oh, Kim. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll read that. I can't remember who it was, but someone uh, someone took me to task the other day for misattributing Sorry, that's, a that's quote by Edmund Burke to Thomas Jefferson, oh. which is all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Mm-hmm. However, as I went along researching this, I found that the attribution to Burke is also erroneous. That Burke. That both Burke and Jefferson quoted someone else, and nobody agrees on who it was. <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> they didn't have a reference librarian on hand. No, and there, there's arguments over whether it was from from Tolstoy, or wh- which postdates both of them, or whether it was from uh, Soviet which postdates both of them, or whether it comes from... That's impressive. Yeah, I know. They they, they had time machines back That's in the 18th century. Yeah. I'm going to go forward in time and look for a decent quote. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Or whether it um, it is a summary from something as old as Abelard, and I gave up after half an hour of reading the controversy because it just got so tangled. So, so. someone once said, at some point before me... All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. And both Burke and Jefferson quoted it? It seems so. Okay. This is why I hate history. Everything's messy. But on the plus yes. side, everything's malleable. <laughs> good for you. Yes, I, I like malleable. I was really impressed with how you managed to tiptoe through Shakespeare's life without changing anything. That was really fucking cool. Well, the, 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 the good thing about that is that there are good patches where nobody knows anything about Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yes! Working in the margins. Yeah, working in the margins. 
And our last review on iTunes from Tristan Johnson, the ubiquitous Tristan Johnson. <laughs> Bloody praise. Five stars. The future served to you blue rare so you can take in all the raw bloody texture is a fair way to describe J. Daniel Sawyer's antithesis. I loved the noir-esque themes and the strong character-driven plot weaving through a science fiction universe that makes you thirsty for every week's, almost every week's, next helping, just as bloody and raw as the last. Wow. That's cool. Thank you very much again, Tristan. There was also one more piece of feedback, which I remember, but which I lost. I think I accidentally deleted it from my inbox or from the Twitter. Bad. But basically, one of my Canuck <laughs> listeners said, Why are we all Americans? And what is this North American Yes, I was going to ask that. Where are the New Zealanders in this yes. one? Well, the well New we've seen the New Zealander. <laughs> In the bathtub. Yeah, in the bathtub. That's right. The New Zealanders are all in the bathtub having kinky bathtub sex. Or... Well, good for them. <laughs> yes. Um... Clearly, the, uh, the the nation has uh, better on upswing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it... We're all very clean, though. <laughs> the funny part about the kinky bathtub sex is I actually um, the, I got the idea from watching Heavenly Creatures. Oh, But yes. the character was originally, Brittany was originally a Brit. Oh, then I gave the, And then I gave Brit the. Brit was a Brit. <laughs> Which, yeah, exactly. Brit was a Brit. Then I gave the character to you, and I said, well, I should rewrite it so she's from Wellington. So suddenly, <laughs> I've got the Heavenly Creatures reference, read by a woman from the, from, from the city in which the film was filmed, in which the murders actually happened. <laughs> in which the bathtub sex actually happened, depending on whose version no, of the story the, you believe. The, the brick happened in Dunedin. Oh, it did? Okay. But, but Peter Jackson's from Wellington, so yeah. uh, I've been to Dunedin. Okay. I didn't take a brick and beat my mother's head in. Uh, well, that's good because otherwise... Okay, now I've fallen into the cultural gap. Okay, we'll have to show you Heavenly Creatures. Um, okay. It, it's I can't remember who the mystery writer is now that was the... the oh, yeah, she's now gone to Britain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But anyway, long story. If you Heavenly Creatures, if you liked uh, Lord of the Rings, you'll love Heavenly Creatures. Great. So that's where movie. the bathtub sex came from. That's where the bathtub sex came from. But um, anyway... Um, the listener said, um, are all of the Canadians now Americans? Oh, Very yes. incensed. And what about the Mexicans? Surely these three cultures are too diverse. To which I say, right. Dude, have you noticed Southern United States lately? It's like yeah. all Hispanic these days. The, um... Canadians, th and I mean, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose all my Canadian listeners saying this, but but Canadians think that America is really different. And I've read Canadian history and political science textbooks, and I know why they think this. They're told this all through school. Uh -huh. But if you come to America and stay for more than a week, so that you get past that surface level difference, uh -huh. the cultures between Canada and, say, the West Coast of the U.S are far less dissimilar than is the culture between San Francisco and New York. Mm. The cultural differences within the U.S. are far vaster than the cultural differences between the U.S. and its two neighbors. And you have, I mean, you have the history of, in, in Europe, plenty of mm -hmm. disparate yes. um, cultural groups are still mm -hmm. held together in one country. Yep. Mm -hmm. Sometimes with some conflict. Right. I think that it, it, it is the inexorable um, direction of history 
that North America will become an economic union, but with a very weak political union in the same way that Europe has become mm. an economic union. We have we we have been taking steps towards free trade in the Americas for 30 years now. And that direction benefits everybody in the long term, even though in the short term it causes everybody some pain. Um, all three countries have seen massive economic growth as a result of the increased trade, and that's always been the case throughout mm. history. That will keep going on to the point where we have to start making our labor laws and our uh, contract laws compatible because there's going to be so much trade that it won't be able to keep growing past a certain mm. point until that happens. America is not the United States. It's the continent. You it's actually two continents. It was actually two continents. The Americas are two continents. The United States of America was originally – it's called the United States because state used to mean nation. And it was originally a union of 13 disparate nations that shared a common free trade policy with one another. And over the course of the centuries and the Civil War and some other things that happened, the um, – the laws have become normalized more and more across the states, but you still have very different laws mm. from state to state. Um, I think the same thing is eventually going to happen, not because of a conspiracy, but just because of the the natural direction that economic development is going. It's going to happen in North America, and it's going to be called the North American Union or something like that. And you got to deal with it. It doesn't <laughs> that mean doesn't... that there's going to be a monoculture. Right. There won't be a monoculture. It'll still be don't very – have a monoculture now. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> no, you can – if and, and those of you who aren't in California won't believe this, but you can tell the difference walking down a street in the suburbs of San Francisco versus walking down a street in the suburbs of Los Angeles, even without looking up to see what kind of hills you've got around you. Mm -hmm. They're very different cultures. They always will be. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, Canadians will still say A, and they will probably always be a little more to the left economically than Americans and Mexicans. Than United States. Central. Than United States citizens. Yes. <laughs> and Mexicans will probably always be a much more Catholic culture than will either of the other two. Um, I don't, th you know, and, and gradually they will blend more as mm -hmm. happened with the Irish and the Italians in the U.S. Mm -hmm. You know, what's more, Ita what's more American than pizza, right? But that's, that's a recent introduction to the United States. Mm -hmm. I think the same thing is going to happen. It's a gradual process. The cultures will blend. Every culture will, is always changed by every other culture it touches. Mm -hmm. I see no reason that that's going to stop. We're all, we're already well on our way towards creating a continuum from, mm -hmm. you know, Mexico up through the U.S. and into mm -hmm. Canada, you can see the gradations. Yeah, you you go from you know to to Southern California or Southern Texas, you find areas that sound a lot like Mexico. You go to places mm -hmm. in Minnesota that will in northern the uh, UP of uh, Michigan, and you'll find areas you swear you were in Canada. Oh, but boys. particularly <laughs> with the the governing philosophy of the United States, the United States government cannot do some things that the government in Canada and Mexico do. Mm -hmm. For example, we our government is by law not allowed to institute a national language. We could all be speaking French, Canadian, or uh, Mexican Spanish by the 22nd century. I think English will probably continue to be dominant, at least in a, some modified form, because it's already an international trade language. Right. But that's a bottom-up convention. It's not a top-down um, dictate. 
And uh, so the, the, the United States government has very little control over its culture, and it was set up that way on purpose. So I don't think that there's going to be any monoculture in the Americas ever myself. No. I mean, they'd have to do that to, to compete with China mm-hmm. and, and Russia. Who also, I mean, you don't really think, you think, oh, Russia's just Russia and China's just China. Oh, but no. within them, <laughs> yeah. well, some yeah. people do. Yeah. You know, they're all Chinese, countries. right? Exactly. Oh. But within them is, is a huge different cultures, oh, different, yeah. you know, ways of, ways of speaking, ways of doing mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Again, so why should America yeah. be any different? Yeah. There are people in China who look like Europeans, mm. you know, blonde and, and blue eyed. Yeah. And again, there's more difference between the Szechuan and the Mandarin than there is between the Mandarin and the Japanese. So I think it's a, it's a bit reactionary to go, oh my gosh, we're all going to be taken over. Right. So, no, I'm not trying to diminish your Canadian identity. I'm just, you know. Just, don't, just don't make us Australians, okay? Right. You can do whatever you like with us. No, no, no. <laughs> we're a little different because we're not even connected by any land. Right. Which is odd. Okay, well, I guess that does it for the feedback show uh, for this episode of Dealing In. As I've said before, please send questions, comments, criticisms, and death threats to dan at jdsawyer.net or post them on the show blog at antithesis.jdsawyer.net <laughs> or call them into the number at 206-350-5739. Stay tuned. More episodes of Antithesis and lots more special features coming soon, including a lot about sex. And until then, remember... It isn't whether you win or lose. It's how you rig the game. Exactly. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! We forgot to do the drawing. Chris, Lester, will you please hand me the hat? In- into which all the holy paper slips have been placed. Actually, we'll let- I want to draw Valentine, it. would you do the honors? I will. The dark goddess is determining the fate of the person who gets the holy free t-shirt. Well, actually, it won't be holy till you've worn it for a few months. And, <laughs> and then it becomes holy. Then it becomes holy. Oh, it it becomes ca- sanctified through usage. I am casting the bones, searching <laughs> for the name, the one true name. <laughs> this one doesn't have a name on it. Let me see. Yeah, M.G. Oh, M.G. M.G. So whoever left the review on the U.S. version of iTunes with the name M.G. and the title A a Must Listen Pod Novel, five stars, please email me at dan at jdsawyer.net and we will get your information and you may have either a My Name is Joss Kyle t-shirt or a Phalanx, the bar for people who like privacy. No, really, (laughs) t-shirt. And with that, remember, it isn't whether you win or lose, but whether or not you forget to draw the name. It isn't whether you win or lose, it's how you draw the name. (laughs) It's how you draw the name.